Dr. Dina Harris is so unique and so smart. She really knocked my socks off. She knew so much. She has a real vested interest in helping women who have very individual issues and things that really trouble a lot of women and those topics we don't really hear that much about. She's a gynecologist with an expert in pelvic pain and obviously women's gynecological issues referring to menopause. I found her really interesting, super smart, and this is one you definitely have to listen to. Again, this series on doctors who specialize in women's issues will really kind of make you want to tell a friend. I did it so that we have a place to go to get some insight and information that we don't normally get when we visit our doctors. So here she is, Dr. Dina Harris. So Dina, thank you very much for being a part of my doctor's uh, encounters because there's so much great information that I'm having the privilege of learning from all of you and having you here is a great honor for me and if you could give us a little sort of background on the work you do and how you got into this and what you're doing. My name is Dr. Dina Harris and um, I have been in obstetrics and gynecology since the 1980s So I've been doing it for quite a long time and watched all of the evolution and changes. And in maybe the last 10, 15 years, I've become more involved in the menopause, but also hormone replacement in general, as well as a lot of pelvic pain work. You mentioned all the changes. Tell me a little bit about some of the biggest changes you've seen in your world since you started to now. Yeah, well, almost everything is changed. And, but uh, in the field of hormones, it's very, very much expanding. It went from everybody being on hormones to nobody being on hormones to us being a little bit more careful with the way that we do it and uh, different options for hormones. So that's been kind of exciting. And in terms of um, pelvic and sexual pain, which was ignored for, I think, the last hundreds of years, yes. There's actually huge advances, and and there is help out there for any women who think that there isn't. It isn't just in your head. Mm -hmm. There are medical conditions that cause it, so there's a lot happening in that field. So I think hormone replacement, as you said, has gone through, you know, ins and out of fashion, right? It was in to do it, and then it was out, and obviously it's an individual situation, but... First of all, what kind of hormone replacements are there out there? Like, mm-hmm. what are the different types? If you can, I don't know that everybody is really educated about this, so we don't, we would like to know everything. Okay. Well, for hormone replacement, which basically means that you no longer have hormones for whatever reason and need to replace them, the way I put it is there's three different types. There's synthetic hormones, which are hormones that are made chemically, usually by the pharmaceutical companies, and they're not 
what we call bioidentical. Bioidentical hormones, which is another type of hormones, are hormones that have the same molecule that your body makes. So it's possible that pharmaceutical companies, and they are making them right now, and also there's others that are more compounded, which is the third type, which is called compounded bioidenticals. Some people call it designer estrogens, which basically means that we're taking a little bit from column A and column B and based on some of your blood tests and um, making the hormones fit the individual person. So those are the different types of hormone replacements that are out there right now. So when you started to talk about the different types, you said when you are no longer menstruating. Right. So would it ever make sense to, making this up, I have no idea, um, would it ever make sense to start hormone replacement earlier through the menopausal experience to sort of reduce the transition? Well, we do that a lot um, oh, you in, do. The peri in the perimenopause, um, and, so and that can start for years, that can be for years. We do do hormone type replacement, depending, of course, on the person, uh, to try to ease them into the menopause. Really? And so what, uh, I've never heard of this, this is, mm -hmm. this is, is this common practice? I think the problem for doctors with hormone replacement is there's something called standard of care, and then there's non-standard of care. So standard of care is what the American College of OBGYN and NAMS, the North, North American Menopause Society, deems standard of care. And then there's a, other ways of practicing medicine. I don't know if you would call it more creatively, as and long so, as you do no harm, of course. And this is on the more creative end of it? Yeah, I would say it's a little more on the creative end. Well, I mean, I, I just think it's an open door for a lot of exploration because the transition period for women in menopause is very disruptive. I mean, it's like, it's more than a snake shedding its skin. It's an, every, an emotional, spiritual exchange with, you know, the oh. past and the present and the future. So how does that work when, when, you, when someone right. is experiencing this and they're a candidate? What would make someone a candidate? Perimenopause, for some women, is the worst part of it. Not really the menopause. Once they're there, um, things are stabilized and they feel much better. So for some women emotionally, especially, the perimenopause can be really, really and, difficult. And peri could start... In your 40s, for some women in their 30s, um, really? you know. Well, it depends on when they're going through the menopause. And there's many different ways to approach that. There's the a group of doctors that use the standard of care method, which is birth control pills. Which, by the way, is a very people have di very different reactions to birth control pills when they're perimenopausal, as opposed to when they're in their 20s. So somebody who might have had a really rough time in their 20s emotionally on birth control pills would do fantastically on birth control pills in the perimenopause. So there's that. And then so you could experiment with that. It helps a lot of people. For some women, their cycles are so up and down and all over the place that the only way to do it is to suppress the hormones that they're actually making, which is what the birth control pill does, mm -hmm. and then add back. Um, there are other even more extreme methods, um, which is, would, I use very rarely, but like to actually shut somebody down with um, Lupron or one of the new newer drugs, um, 
and then add back hormone replacement so that you actually put somebody into the menopause. Wow, um, interesting. Yeah, over the years before we had these drugs, there were women that would beg to have a hysterectomy or have their ovaries removed because mm -hmm. they couldn't stand it anymore. These are very extreme cases. Mm -hmm. It's not for those out there. It's not always this bad. So there, you know, I asked my staff to mostly women, I mm -hmm. asked them to submit questions that they never have asked and would like to ask. And so one says, I've been on birth control for 30 years. Is this really bad for my body? I'm 47 years old. So, so obviously she's going to be going into menopause. Does she continue her birth control? Well, I, if I were taking care of her, yes, I would just keep her going until she started to have signs of full menopause, which is really hard to tell. How so would a, she know? Well, sometimes, sometimes people are on the pills that are seven days off and they start getting hot, bad hot flashes those seven days. Ah. Um, some women on birth control pills later on might experience vaginal dryness and I'm, I begin to realize that they're actually okay. more menopausal and that they need really more hormone replacement therapy. But if I, we don't know, I go 52 and let's stop it and see what happens. And usually I'll run some hormones if it helps. And if they stop having their period and not no longer do, having their period and want to go on hormone replacement, at that point we, I put them on mm -hmm. hormone replacement. Interesting. Um, obviously, hormones are just an incredibly important part of a woman's life, um, from puberty to postmenopause. They they literally have such a control over our behavior. In many cases we don't even know why we're behaving a certain way and it's almost like we're being taken over or something bigger is is um, creating a behavior that we know we're not comfortable with and we keep all of this conversation pretty quiet because men have used it as a reason why women aren't capable of doing certain things and so I've never found it a point of conversation that I wanted to bring up anywhere except I want to bring it up in this day of, of interviews because I don't I don't feel good about anything that owns me that I can't control and from puberty to postmenopause in my life experience I understood when I was objectifying myself with men, maybe, and I wasn't like a trollop or anything, but I, I would find myself for wanting to be loved, this, this overwhelming need to be loved, wasn't with the personality that I normally had, but I would allow myself to be objectified and be humiliated and embarrassed and know that intellectually that's not what I would do and I, I would behave that way. And so I'm saying this because I'm wondering if there, I'm, and obviously that's part of the process of attracting men and women together to procreate and many other things, but I'm wondering if there isn't, now that we have a sense of these bioidenticals and hormones that feel safer and, and are more in connected to behavior we want. If there isn't some way to look at the roller coaster women go through in their entire history from from 
that puberty experience straight through and having a baby and all of these ups and downs, if there isn't more information that is out there or you see on the horizon that could give us a little bit more control over the fluctuations. I, I don't know if there's anything out there that's going to change this. I don't see it as, I think we just have to accept it as not a bad thing. And well, if women feel yeah. more empowered, and I think as a mother with a young daughter, I don't know how successful I was, but I made a, an attempt mm -hmm. to make her feel more empowered. I think that that helps. Yeah. But I think that uh, some of the hormonal changes are wonderful. But um, I do honestly feel more powerful in the menopause than oh. before the menopause. And so it is a yes. really freeing thing. And yeah. um, now that we're living a much longer lifespan, the menopause is only halfway through, I yeah. think. So we've got another powerful mm -hmm. 50 years to go. I'm, I'm and, so uh, happy you're saying that. Yeah. And so why, why, what can you tell a woman who's going through the throes of that experience of realizing that she's sort of shedding a skin and going into another period of time? What, first of all, what are you doing that makes her more comfortable? Well, yeah, from a medical point, I mean, you could, the birth control pill does settle a lot of, I, I've been bringing it up a lot, but, but that's a great it does point. settle a lot of women who are very emotional because it's, it keeps them at an even keel. And a lot of the um, millennials are on birth control pills, and I think they're uh, a very, with all of what they know, I think they're a very powerful group from what I can see. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I do think it helps, but I'm not... I'm not sure there's much more that we have unless we do some really not-so-crazy. Yeah, but, that, but that's something mm -hmm. that, you know, is a tool now that I certainly didn't look at as an opportunity to make the transition for me easier. And so once that transition happens and we want women to feel as good about themselves as possible so they understand that reinvention at 50 is this great new opportunity right. that they can really enjoy. And that, I mean, I'm 74, so I certainly do not see post, I, to me, it couldn't have been better for my life. Everything I feel is just getting better and I'm not just saying it. I, I believe it heart and soul and I'm so happy for the opportunity. But I think having these tools, so if birth control can help with the, the transition or getting to it, and then bioidenticals or other more evolved hormone replacement can sort of make a woman feel at her best and, and look her best too. Obviously, mm -hmm. that what you, when you look in the mirror, if you think you look good, you can take over the a woman can just take over the world so having that empowered feeling is a big deal so for women in general and and the whole hormone replacement conversation what would you say in general as a as something for women to think about and what that would do for them well i there's definitely um advantages and some 
disadvantages to hormone replacement, and I do think you have to take it very, very individually. And I think that's where it's evolved to at this point. And so for some women, it really isn't a possibility um, because for medical reasons, they can't which do it. Which would be? Uh, having had breast cancer, a significant family history of breast cancer, genetic, the BRCA gene, um, uh, genetic, uh, they have uh, clotting disorders that they can't really be on estrogen, mm -hmm. um, although there are other, op op other things that they can try. Um, so for those women, it's not a possibility, but you don't have to have hormone replacement to feel good about yourself. So and, it's not the only way. Right. And so what are some of the other suggestions? And for the for not uh, not hormone no, replacement. Yeah. Well, if there's other medications for hot flashes and... Um, and what are those? I, you know, they're doing a lot of the SSRIs, which are the antidepressants, the Effexor, uh, gabapentin. They really help with hot flashes, especially with women who are really suffering. It's not as great as hormone replacement, but it does work. There are other side effects, but there are side effects to hormone replacement. I have a group of women who can't tolerate hormone replacement, whatever and, I put them and, on. And what happens when they try hormone replacement? They well, some women just feel, feel terrible on hormone replacement, but that's a, an unusual group. Yeah. And, so. and so is there a specific amount of time that hot flashes occur? or are, Because it's not necessarily the full length of, of the transition, obviously. Different things happen. What's typically, is there a typical hot flash time? Well, some women start in the perimenopause getting hot flashes, but generally most of hot flashes start within a couple months of um, not getting your period or the menopause. And they can, for some women, they last only six months and then they're fine. And for other women, it's 20 years. <laughs> but, but the worst part of it is the first five to 10 years for those women. And it's usually like the uh, experience of taking off like a rocket and being miserable and being in a meeting and you know having mm -hmm. a flash or feeling even faint. So um, those are usually around just the first couple of years when it's that bad. If somebody's getting it for more than that 10 years, it's usually they're a lot less intense, mm -hmm. but they're bothersome. Um, those are women that often stay on hormone replacement for that reason alone. Is, but, is there a deadline for how long you can be on hormone replacement? That's kind of like the million dollar question. Mm. But if you ask Medicare and the government... No, I'm not. I'm well, not. <laughs> they say at 65, the there's an increased risk of stroke and heart attack, and they recommend that we take people off of it, but I haven't been... Because I do think that for some women, there's tremendous advantages to being on hormone replacement. I have 80-year-old women on hormone replacement. They look great. Uh, they feel fantastic. They're still, a lot of them are still working. I don't know why that goes hand in hand. So I, again, I think you have to take it very individually. For some women, it's not a good idea, whereas for other women, it's helping their, their have a terrible family history of osteoporosis. And, it's really helping their bones, and they don't want to go on the biphosphonates. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm, my whole thing is my bones, and yeah. so I immediately made that a part of what I do, and I, I never feel like my, I'm, I'm flexible, I've, but, you know, if the, I'm told my bones aren't good, I'm going to have to do whatever I can, and I think that having that as a choice gives me the opportunity to make the decision. I also think it's 
good just overall well-being but knowing that my bones are very much an important part of how I age you make those choices and like you said it's totally individual so the chemistry of what's in these hormone replacements like what is in them beside is it just hormones is it just something that mimics the hormone or is it a combination of things depends on which one you decide to be on you have to you know work this out with your doctor there's um the synthetic ones are generally um estrogen is the estradiol so that's actually bioidentical so most of the synthetic hormones the estrogen part is actually bioidentical Mm -hmm. but Prembrin, which is an interesting product, is conjugated estrogen, so it's a mixture of different types of estrogen and isn't necessarily bioidentical. And uh, the progesterone part is the part that's often not uh, bioidentical in the synthetic. So now um, they might put in a progesterone that is used in birth control pills like norethindrone. Um, They used to use in Prempro the Provera, which... um, I personally don't particularly like, and I hope that uh, anybody on PremPro isn't upset. That's just my personal no, preference. No, but I, it's important to... Yeah, and, uh, but there's been all, most of the studies have been done on um, PremPro, the Women's Health Initiative studies. And then there's a bunch of newer stuff out, something... Uh, can I, Duovi is, an inter- I think, a very interesting synthetic product. It's Premarin, which is the conjugated estrogen. It's totally synthetic, but... Um, it, and then there's a the progesterone is a serum or selective estrogen receptor modulator, which basically is estrogen-like. And the reason that they did that is they want to. The reason you have to use progesterone medically with the estrogen is to keep you from getting endometrial cancer. So um, the progesterone protects the endometrium, but now they're worried that the progesterone is actually the cause of the increase in breast cancer in the uh, Women's Health Initiative studies. So they made a um, serum or selective estrogen receptor modulator that decreases the endometrium. It works on the endometrium to make it thinner. And so this particular one, there's a group of doctors that feel it's super safe because it doesn't give them breast cancer, but that it's still new, and uh, as with anything, you have to watch it. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm, I wonder if that one causes vaginal dryness. I have a couple people on it that mm. are having that problem. So, Which was my next question. What are some of the side effects of the different types of um, hormone replacement? You know, it's, it's each one. is. You have to know your, when you're so doing this, you have to know each yeah. one. But the, the bioidentical ones are kind of interesting. Now the um, drug companies are making the bioidentical ones, so you have options of gels and patches and sprays. And they like you to do it uh, transdermally, the estrogen, because it causes less clotting and mm-hmm. uh, less problems with heart and stroke, and they think. So patches are... Patches are really nice because it's twice a week, but some people are allergic to the adhesive or the patch doesn't stay on. Or, but it, 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 often mm. they're very, very convenient. Um, the problem with the patches is that the, progest- the one that has estrogen and progesterone in it is a very, very large patch, and the progesterone in that patch... Um, is not bioidentical because progesterone is like an enormous molecule, so it's really hard to make it as a patch. So a lot of people will prescribe the estrogen as a patch and the progesterone as an oral pill or a cream mm-hmm. or whatever, or a vaginal cream, or they say put the patch on and put an IUD in. The IUD is not bioidentical, but it does 
protect the endometrium. Wow. So there's a lot of different. Wow. Um, and then you have to know the little innuendos, like generally if you're lacking energy, testosterone can give you that, so you might want to add a little testosterone, but it's tricky. So it's, tricky. Really, it's yeah. really a cocktail of, right. of what each individual person needs for whatever right. it is they're... they're mm-hmm. when, I, when I see someone... Um, you know, I listen to the problems. If their complaints are a certain type of complaint, then I go in that direction. Um, if I can't figure it out, I start doing blood tests, which sometimes helps, and honestly, sometimes it doesn't help at all. So it just depends on what the person needs and uh, how they react to mm-hmm. it. A lot of people, once they start hormone replacement, they feel fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what yeah. it is. No, it's true. So, um, in fact, most people you don't have to tweak it at all because it's just like the best thing that ever happened. So it's very interesting because another sort of statement about why past 50 is actually good. So now if you do have a hormone replacement cocktail that is working for you and you feel fantastic and you don't have the hormone roller coaster running your life, you have absolute control over the way you decide to, you know, live the rest of your life. You have absolute control over the decisions of what your purpose is in this lifetime. You've passed raising children, you've passed sort of the duties, the women's role, the the required kind of life that we all think about as being women. And then you come to this point where you really do have the opportunity to do whatever you want and through chemistry or whatever it is to give women the freedom to feel good again and not have it be up and down and erratic and like I was saying before create behavior that you're not quite sure about or you you found an irritation and like why did I say that or why was I so you know explosive when I'm not an explosive person or what was going on and now you're more level and you're more sane, and your decisions are rational, and you're sensible and smart and reliable and dependable in a way that you could never have been before. And you're smarter than you ever were. That, to me, how do you describe anything better than that? And, and So for all of anybody who's worried about the menopause, forget it. It's well, great. But that's the, <laughs> that's the point. Yeah that um, I really want to make and and I want to say that if there's a chance to see someone like you or to get good advice personally about what the prescription is for each and every one of us, mine is my bones. I need to do and I'm getting the plus benefit Mm -hmm. of everything else and I go get checkups all the time and I'm on it. But the opportunity to have this much time to be totally free to do whatever you want, I mean, come on, that's so appealing. And so every dream you might have had 
and everything that you can do can be for you that it can be about you it can be about self-love and people really like people who care about themselves they're not so nice to people who aren't good to themselves and so any illusion women have about this being a not good time they have to dismiss the the idea of being appreciated for the way they look only and that men aren't whistling or whatever it is that preconceived notion of what a woman should look like and I think you look better when you feel better about yourself and when you sound smart and you're productive that's very appealing that's very powerful so I think with with the information you have and the the power of where we're going and I, and I think it's moving so quickly so my next question is what's on the horizon what do you see on the horizon in this in this kind of concept and work what do you think is the next thing that's coming you know I do a lot of sexual pain so I think that that's a newer field. I think we're learning more and more. That's for, um, and I think that that's becoming, we're getting better and better at fixing the problems. And for younger women who have it, it's devastating. It's really can ruin someone's life. Um, What's I, a typical situation? Well, I'm not yeah. really that familiar with how. how right. Well, the, um, I do a lot of work with vulvodynia, pelvic pain, pudendal neuralgia. These are um, kind of hush-hush problems women don't talk about, but there's a lot of women who suffer from it. So explain so, them a little bit more. Well, it is hush-hush because... Very hush-hush. Yeah. A young woman um, might not be able to have intercourse because it's just way too painful, and it may not have anything to do with her psychology it just might be that the tissue isn't working right. And um, that can be pretty devastating, and a woman can be perfectly okay, and then after something happens, an accident, a, a back injury, a hip injury, or anything related to that, suddenly be in tremendous pain. And if she tells somebody about it, because it's so private, people think that she's just nuts. And uh, mm -hmm. crazy, and you know. or it's some, it's a mental issue, right, right? And not what it really is, which is a medical problem. Mm -hmm. And then in later life, the menopause can cause for a lot of women who mm -hmm. choose not to be on hormone replacement, which is also a decent, a very good choice. Mm -hmm. um, they they can be in pain and not uh, feel that there's any help out there uh, when there really is. You know, a lot of it is just going to someone with the experience of how to fix it mm -hmm. instead of, you know, listening to the person that you loved as your doctor for many years who can't Doesn't help you know. with that, but they just yeah. don't know no. about it, that's all. And instead of them referring someone out, um, you, they just sit and suffer with it. Mm. So so what, what are the solutions? What, what, what are the, some of the more common um, solutions to this type of a problem? Well, for younger women, uh, there's help. There's real help. Uh, there's substantial help. And they should seek someone who knows how to do, how to do this. And they're all over the, it's over the internet, who uh, they can go to, and they should not give up. But one of the easy fixes 
is unfortunately, and uh, some of the birth control pills, and I'm not exactly sure why, can cause severe vaginal dryness and pain. And all they have to do, and I'm probably going to get screamed at for this, but all they have to do is go off of the pill and give it three to six months, and they will probably be much better. So I'm saying it out there. Please try it. Uh, it could be something that simple. A lot of the uh, younger women love the birth control pill because it's such a convenient. Uh, they don't get acne. Their periods don't bother them. Some people don't bother getting periods. So uh, it's, it's a wonderful method, and it's free, absolutely freeing. Um, but it, can, it does have some side effects, and one of them can be this. So uh, the IUDs do not cause this problem, including the ones with hormones. Marina, Skyla, Kalina, Liletta, Paragard, they're all okay. So that is one particular mm -hmm. quick fix. The rest of it, you really need to go to a doctor because they need to figure out what's wrong. For women who were perfectly okay and then... Had a, had a prop. There, there is also for the younger women a surgical solution. Oh, really? Yes, and um, which is 93% effective, but it's a wow. really big deal. And I wouldn't go in that direction uh, first. I would try all of the other options out there. For women who just had a baby and who are breastfeeding, uh, breastfeeding causes vaginal dryness. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Ask your doctor for some vaginal estrogen to place in the area that it hurts. Don't put the estrogen way up. It's got to be where it hurts, which is at the opening. Mm -hmm. So um, And so if they're uncomfortable with doing that while they're breastfeeding, that's fine. Don't panic. It'll go away as soon as you stop breastfeeding. Really? Right. Well, maybe six months. It takes six months to, mm -hmm. for the vaginal tissue to get, um, to get better. And then in menopause. And, and the, the other people, for other women who suddenly have developed a problem, they actually need to, that particular group has to go to the doctor if they have, especially with the very serious vulvodynian pudental neuralgias, they need help. And there are doctors out there. Just look on the internet. There's tons of them now. And is this something that can happen or? Yeah. Yes. Is it hereditary? Uh, for some women, it's they have a hip injury. It's the way they walk. Their oh, feet okay. turn in. They end up having a tear in their labrum. It has yeah. to be repaired, and then the bulvar pain goes away. For other women, it's a lack of estrogen early on for whatever reason. I already mentioned birth control pills. It could be even the hormone replacement that you're on might be doing it, or some of the um, breast cancer treatments can do that. So, of course, the people that are treating you for breast cancer should be able to address it, and there's newer stuff out, and those doctors actually generally know about this now. They're, not, mm -hmm. uh, they're being trained and understand that that is an important priority. And then there's the menopause, and for some women, hormone replacement does not help. It doesn't, it's not enough. And um, so they need particular therapy locally to the area. Topical. Usually yeah. topical estrogens, again, not all the way deep inside, but more at the opening. So mm -hmm. if your doctor gave you Vagifem or some of the suppositories that go high up, um, you could try not to put them up so high. That might work a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Or to take a cream and actually put it at the opening at the same time, vaginal estrogen cream. And then for those women who don't want to use estrogen, there's a big thing right now is uh, hyaluronic acid. 
There's the Mona Lisa. Why? Why? How? Why? It uh, works on the collagen. It just helps. So some women, uh, it, if they're especially if they're already on hormone replacement, a little bit of that might be enough. Mm-hmm. And some women really swear by it. They say it's great. Really? Yeah. But it's not always the one, the thing that works. It's worth a try, though. Uh, actually, yeah. I don't even think you need a prescription for that. You can probably call a compounding pharmacy yourself mm-hmm. and get it. And then there's the Mona Lisa. Everybody's talking about that. What is Mona Lisa? It's a laser treatment to the vaginal tissues. It's kind of a, it's been on all sorts of programs. I'm so <laughs> out of the loop on this one. And it, it uh, again, it replenishes the collagen and uh, is supposed to be good for uh, vaginal atrophy and pain. Wow. And then there's, um, I mean, there's other DHEA, uh, I think... Uh, some of the, the newer stuff that's mm-hmm. out. Um, and these things all work. They're great. They're really great. Fantastic. So I, obviously the, the ability to be in control and get help is, is a big yeah. deal. I think having good doctors and access to good health care is really so important. Um, and for women, we have so many reasons to see doctors and to be regular with our visits and to really be uh, on top of our health, Um, not only because we're the nurturers and we're taking care of people, but I I think it's empowering to, to do whatever you can for health. How do you see healthy lifestyle and this sort of transition, uh, you know, through menopause and going into making decisions about what you're putting in your body and how you're doing that. How um, are doctors talking about lifestyle these days? Well, I think more and more doctors uh, who are gynecologists who do what I do are more interested in the menopause that they used to be, especially the ones that have been working for a long time, yeah. um, and their population of patients who are usually the same age, mm-hmm. age with them. So they actually have formed organizations just for menopausal issues as women age, and so now they have the uh, North American Menopause Society and a few others. Um, that so they're actually paying attention to it because before it was like, oh well, you're in the menopause. That's yeah. Mm, yeah, sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> so that's a kind of a wonderful thing that's happened, and I think that's uh, the contribution that our age has made. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's yeah. great, and and I also think being conscious about sleep, diet, exercise, being careful about what we put in our bodies is a tremendous help going through anything, and. Uh, and more and more doctors are talking about that with their patients, which usually didn't happen before, and it seems that lifestyle does seem to, to be part of the conversation, which is fantastic. So Adam, my last question is, what's the most often asked question of you when just in general, as a doctor, what do you ask the most? As a gynecologist? Yes. I th- am I normal? Do I look normal? I love that. <laughs> I love that. What? A, oh, my God. Almost everybody asks it at least once. Oh, my God. Yeah. Once they get comfortable enough. 
I ask, am I normal? And I think there's a lot of normal. So <laughs> it's a great question. I've always laughed when I heard it. But I realize it's such an important organ, you know, and uh, I think it's a hidden, a hidden secret. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all want to know, are we normal? Do we look normal? Is it pretty? Are we pretty? You know? Oh, my so. God. Wow. Yeah, that's something wow. that I've noticed over the last that's number amazing. of years. That's amazing. That is amazing. It's so true. How do you know? You would be... <laughs> well, you have to be a gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> and so how many... Um, I remember when I was younger and I wanted a gynecologist, I had a choice between this man, that man, that man, or this man. Mm -hmm. And I had wonderful gynecologists. They were terrific, I have to say. But now it just seems natural for women to go to women, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's a different level of conversation that I'm sure women wouldn't ask that question of a male gynecologist. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I can't I don't imagine. know. <laughs> no, but I can't imagine. I, I know it's been something that I pretty much don't talk about, but I've always laughed when I heard it and thought, okay, this, yeah, they have, they want to know, and I think it's great. Yeah, I yeah, mean, absolutely. I think it's great to know. And I wonder if guys <laughs> ask the same question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we will thank you so much. Uh, you're Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. It was really great. <laughs>